Aaron Blanchfield is in her first five-round main event this weekend, UFC Fight Night against Jessica Andrade. Now, we all learned about this matchup on Saturday. When did you find out that Jessica Andrade was going to step in for Tyler Santos? Uh, I heard about it literally Friday, the day before everybody heard about it. <laughs> so you found out on Friday, and was there any hesitations? This is a very different matchup than Tyler Santos. No, definitely not. Uh, my manager called me and told me that Talia was out, but then Andrade was already willing to take the fight. Um, and I already put in a whole camp, so I wanted to fight. There no hesitation from me. It's kind of a double-edged sword because, I mean, I don't even want to call it a double-edged sword. It's just a, an interesting situation because if you prepare for Jessica Andrade and you have to watch all this film about Jessica Andrade, I, I imagine that that can be pretty daunting given a lot of her highlights. But taking it on short notice, knowing that she is also having less time to prepare and you actually just had a full camp, uh, she's coming off of a recent fight. Are those better circumstances for facing someone like Jessica? Yeah, I mean, uh, I know she fought not that long ago. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know how fights are. You usually take a little bit of break off. And then she took this fight short notice. But, um, you know, I have full camp. So there's definitely probably, like, a little bit in my favor. But I know even if she had a full camp and was fully prepared and I was fully prepared, that I'd still win. So Was this a little bit daunting for you? Because, again, Jessica Andrade has a reputation for being, you know, something of a buzzsaw in the cage. And she has, you know, a lot of big highlights that... I'm not sure whether or not you've decided to watch or not heading into this fight. Oh, I definitely have watched her tapes. Um, no, I mean, it's not too daunting. You know, I mean, I know she has uh, a big rep. She has uh, some pretty nice finishes. But, um, you know, I mean, I want to be the best in the world. So I have to be willing to fight everybody and anybody. Um, so, yeah, there's nothing too daunting about it. I mean, you have to watch them break them down. And there's just another person to beat. I know there are certain fighters that don't like watching tape of their opponents because they don't like seeing them, I guess, have success, although, you know, you can watch their failures as well, but um, you don't feel that way. You like to study your opponents. Oh, no, I definitely like to study my opponents because you want to see what they do well and what they uh, don't do as well, too. So watching their wins, losses, whatever, um, is really, I, I think it's important. It kind of gives you an idea of their style. You kind of break them down a little bit. Um, so yeah, so me and my coaches always watch film on um, whoever I'm fighting. And like you said, I mean, the goal is to become a champion, so trying to take shortcuts on the way to becoming champion is probably no way to become a champion because you'll be ill-prepared when you actually get to the uh, the big show. Yeah, for sure. Like, if you're scared to fight people like Jessica Andrade, like, yeah, she has a big name, she's well-known, um, she's a great fighter, like, how are you ever going to become champion if you're you're scared to fight people at that level? Um, I always love challenging myself, and this is just another challenge ahead. Is one of your challenges to become the youngest female champion in UFC history? I believe Rose Namajunas is the youngest ever at 25, is that something that you aspire to do? Uh, that would definitely be awesome if it happened. Um, you know, I never put, like, like age goals necessarily in things. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know what fights are, you're going to have um, or injuries and stuff like that. Um, but if I could do that, I definitely would like to beat that record. From hearing you speak in interviews, it seems like you're not the type of person to put the cart before the horse. Like, whatever's ahead of you, that's kind of what you're focused on. And it seems like that's when you're at your healthiest mentally. Oh, for sure. Like, I always... Because I feel like with this fight, especially everyone's been asking, like, oh, uh, Jessica's number three. Like, we want a title fight after this. Like, I'm really focused on Jessica, beating Jessica. Because um, I know if I don't do that, then nothing else will come after that. And I, I treat, I've treated every fight like that my entire career. And um, I feel like it's definitely a better approach for me. It helps me perform. And um, I'm going to continue doing it. Do you have long-term goals? Like, when you think ahead, if you were to retire in, like, whatever, 15 years, what would you have liked to accomplish? Do you, do you ever think about that at all or is it do you feel like that's a fool's game uh i don't think about it in like very particular numbers all i know is that 
I want to become champ and I want to hold it as long as I want to and retire champ, like not lose it uh, by losing a fight. Like I want to retire on, on my terms. Somebody who has done that in the past is George St. Pierre. Earlier today at Media Day, you said he was somebody you really looked up to and enjoyed his fighting style. Is he somebody you've ever met? I know you both trained at Henzo Gracie's in, in New York, when, at least whenever George is in town. I was wondering if you have ever crossed paths with George before. Uh, I haven't been in the same room like training with him and stuff. I haven't like actually sat down and talked with him, but I definitely have admired. Um, I admire his fighting style. I admire, like honestly, even how he retired, how he did it on his own terms, uh, despite what other people wanted. Like he always kind of listened to what he wanted to do, and I feel like he's a pretty smart guy, like in and out of the cage. Um, so I definitely always uh, looked up to him and like admired those things about him. Do you get nervous being in the same room with George St. Pierre or, or really anybody else over the course of your career? Uh, no, what I mean when I was a little bit younger and I was a little bit uh, greener as a fighter, but. But now, no, I kind of just, you know, I mean, if it's somebody that I admire and I, I want to take something from, I'll kind of, you know, observe or ask questions and um, not intimidated. I just know that, you know, we're people doing like the same things and we have similar goals. So there's nothing to be intimidated by. You can just learn from them. Are you able to approach them? Like, is that something that you, you're comfortable doing? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe now more so. Maybe not when I was uh, like I, when I was at training at Henzo's, I was a little bit younger. I knew some of the. Uh, maybe like some of the female fighters a little bit more I would talk to. Um, uh, but yeah, maybe now I would if I had anything to ask. <laughs> Do you have any role models in the sport? Like anybody that the general public would be familiar with in terms of MMA that, you know, that you've used as a mentor over the course of your career? Um, yeah, besides George, I would say, I mean, people that honestly kind of sparked my interest when I was younger would be like Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate. Um, like looking up to them and seeing them like kind of, like break the mold for like UFC, uh, like females in the UFC. Um, yeah, those are definitely people that I look up to. What's it like seeing your face front and center on a UFC poster for the first time as uh, somebody in the main event? I, I imagine you've signed the posters today. Is it still surreal for you? Or is it just something like, you know, I've, I've made it here and, and this is kind of where I belong? I definitely feel like that. It's definitely where I belong. But that was something I because I, def I, I didn't expect to be a main event this soon, I guess, in my career. I knew it definitely would happen. Um, but this kind of popped up, uh, like short notice. So seeing, seeing my face on a poster is definitely pretty huge for me. That's something, um, I've been looking forward to for a really long time. You always seem very even keeled. So I imagine all of these different changes haven't really affected you going from three rounds to five, changing opponents, short notice. This is just something that you're willing to roll with the punches on when it comes to these situations. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I had a full camp, so I feel prepared, uh, like physically and, uh, mentally as well, you know, I mean, things happen. it's a fight game, things happen, opponents change, it's not the first time I've had opponent change, like, short notice, um, and five rounds is something I've, I've wanted to do for, for a while, I've wanted to get that experience under my belt, so honestly, yeah, they've all kind of come a little bit short notice, maybe not absolute best case scenario, but I'm, I'm really happy that it all panned out the way it did, and I'm, I'm super excited to get that experience under my belt. Now, my memory might be a little shoddy on this one, but two years ago, you were going to make your uh, UFC debut, or three years ago, no, no, two years ago, against Norma Dumont, and she missed weight by a good amount, if I recall. What ended up happening? Did you end up just not taking that fight, or did the doctors not allow her to fight? I can't remember those circumstances, because it seems like the one thing that I can remember from your career where, like, things had to change on the fly that you might have had to adapt to. Yeah, so she missed weight by, like, four or five pounds, I believe, and um, it was actually the athletic commission that didn't, wouldn't allow the fight to happen, because I... I know that they, they weigh uh, fighters like on fight day, so they knew, I guess, how much she puts on even after she misses weight, so they felt like the, the weight discrepancy between me and her would be too too big on fight day. Um, so that's why they, they uh, canceled the fight.
Well, given that you fight at 25 and she fights at 45, they probably were onto something there. Um, was that tough for you, though, to have a fight like that fall apart on weigh-in day? Yeah, it definitely was a bit of a bummer, I think, because I that was a short-notice fight. So it was like, I think I got it on like 10 days notice. And it was going to be my UFC debut, and I was definitely super pumped about it. It was something um, I've been looking forward to like my entire life. Um, but, you know, like in retrospect, I think it kind of worked out the best. Like she was she's a pretty big girl. Like you said, she fought at 45. I usually fight at 25. So we were trying to meet in the middle. She couldn't even get close really to making the weight. Um, but at least I was able to sign with the UFC, go through all the fight week and then um, get a real fight set up where I was able to have a full camp and really put my best foot forward in my debut. Now, I'm not sure if Oren would have advised you otherwise, but if they would have called you and said you know, she's going to be like 152 on fight night. We'll let you take the fight. You can get like whatever, 30% of her purse. Do you still want to take it? You probably would have, I imagine, in those, in those circumstances. Again, if, if Orrin would have been like, okay, yeah, that's, that sounds okay. I, I probably, yeah, I, I definitely would have. I, I wasn't going to pull out of the fight. I knew she missed. And honestly, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, I get extra money from that. Um, I didn't even think of pulling out of the fight. But pretty quickly after she missed, uh, the athletic commission already told me it was, it was over. Well, obviously, that's uh, ancient history at this point, and we are where we are now, where you're in the main event yourself. Five rounds against Jessica Andrade. Big stakes uh, in the flyweight division. Uh, always appreciate your time. Thanks for this, and best of luck on Saturday. Thank you. I'm here with Bachi Estaca, Jessica Andrade, who's in the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. Very, very short notice. So, Jessica, you, were you in Brazil when you found out about this opening and when did you find out? E aí surgiu a oportunidade dessa luta. E eu como uma boa lutadora e sempre com o estímulo e o instinto da minha equipe que é não desistir e I was on vacation in my in Brazil in my mother's house and I, I received the opportunity to fight and how I, I finished my camp uh, not for a long time I was red my last camp was in my mind, uh, and and like my my team PRVT, we don't for, forgive. We we accept everything, and that's it. I'm ready to fight, and that's it. So the last fight that she, that Jessica had against uh, Lauren Murphy was a a great performance, and I'm wondering if the yeah. momentum from that performance was something that was a factor in her accepting this fight. Eu tava, eu tava ciente de que ia dar tudo certo e que logo logo eu teria uma chance de lutar de novo e talvez disputar um cinturão. Uh, uh, Lauren surprised me a lot. Uh, she has a tough opening and muito resistente. She is very tough and um, Mas eu tava pronta para I was ready for the fight. E eu sabia que a luta poderia acabar rápido, and mas I know the fight could I finish early, but. Mas eu, ela também era muito resistente. Eu também sabia que poderia levar os três rounds. Mas eu estava muito pronta para luta. But she is very resistant, and I, you know, uh, I was ready to fight three rounds. If you win on Saturday, and the UFC says we're going to give you a title shot, you can choose between strawweight and flyweight. What's your choice? What would you say? Uh, if she, uh, with a win on Saturday, uh, for sure she prefer to fight for strawweight against Whaley because she wants the rematch. And she, 
choose red to fight for the title. I know, uh, I know Zhang wants to fight later in the year, I think July. So I guess that, that timetable works out. And do you believe that right now you're the, the number one contender for the strawweight title, even though you've been kind of going between two divisions? Mas surgiu a oportunidade de estar aqui no UFC e disputar essa luta num common event. E eu não busco muito a questão do ranking, né? Eu, eu sou um lutador, eu vim para lutar e... I don't care about ranks. Uh, this opportunity appeared to me and I accepted because I'm a fighter and I'm here to fight and I don't care about ranks and I just want to do my job and make a great show. And final question for you, Erin Blanchfield is a great prospect. Have you had a lot of time to study her game? And if so, what do you think of her as a fighter? Ah, sem dúvida é uma luta dura, né? Difícil, ainda mais assim, em cima da hora. Mas eu acredito que o que eu estudei da, das lutas dela, de trocação, da parte de grappling. For sure, will be a tough fight. And she is a great opponent, great fighter. And with everything I study, like a strike, a grappling match. Don't have a lot of secrets. I am ready, and I believe I could win this fight. I can win this fight. Just go Saturday and do a great job. All right, Jessica, obrigada. Uh, Bruno, obrigado for the translation. Thank and, you. Uh, Sorry for that. Uh, my English is not so good. I'm no, you did a great man. job. This is the last time. <laughs> short notes. I would help her. So sorry. Well, she's taking a fight on short notice. You're taking translation on short notice. Everybody's yeah. happy. <laughs> I appreciate your help. Thank you. And uh, best of luck on Saturday. Thank you. Have a good day. I'm pleased to be joined by William Knight, who's taking on Marcin Pracnio at this weekend's UFC Fight Night. Uh, I heard an interview that you did with the All-Star, and it seemed like 2022 was not a great year for you, I guess, personally. Do you want to walk me through what 2022 was like for you and why perhaps your head wasn't as in the game as it typically is? Man, 2022 was crazy. I got, the, after my Menonville fight, I got sick as hell, and then some things came up with the gym I was training at and I felt the way because I felt like I was being pushed out. And then I got, I picked up two like last minute fights. One was Grisham and the other one was Devin Clark. I picked those up on short notice and I wasn't even of par. Mind you, I was 205 December 4th and then beginning of 2022, I hit this tear is 250, 255. So I was sick and stuff and just, wasn't motivated I was like damn I can't even recover it took me like a couple months maybe all of December right when I got back in January and then I started feeling better in February and then that's when I got a call and I was like damn I wait I don't know if it's gonna go back down because I was like eating and then I tried to make weight what was it kidney shut down I couldn't I wasn't sweating. I couldn't push nothing out. And then the doctor almost called it. And he let me, he let the people know, like, look, he ain't going to sweat. You can see, I can look in his eyes. It's dry, everything. He's like, either you could fight at heavyweight or no fight. So hit up my opponent, forfeited my purse so I could give the people a fight. And then I went down as a history as most weight loss, which is bullshit. 
because I know other fighters that missed actual weight for their weight class. Like, there's a difference between being in the physicality of, oh, you miss weight and not trying. I tried. And not only that, they were giving me fluids while they told me to stop the cut so I can be healthy. So I don't even know how low I truly got. All I know is when I was on the scale, I was like 218 or something like that. And then moving forward from that, critics ran their mouth. I speak on what they don't know about. I got another call for Devin Clark. <laughs> and I, I only lost, what, about 10 pounds around that time. So I'm like 10 pounds down because I was in, in the mindset of losing weight. And I'm like, nah, I just gave up 40% of my purse. I lost my last fight. And nah, this is a redemption fight. <laughs> so I go out there, I'm fighting Devin Clark. I'm like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> I, get caught, I get caught in the third round. They said something like zone one. I thought it was a knee. I got caught with the elbow, and then he hit me with a left hook. So when I went down, they just stopped the fight. I was like, damn, I'm still conscious. Like, I could have, you could have came down, and I could have protected myself. Give me some time to shake the webs. But it is what it is. And then after that, I was in the gifs of, like, just focusing, and then I started losing family members one by one. And then I'm like, went from fighting to carrying coffins back to back. And it was just like watching people, your loved ones, like the actual ones that the creators pass. And it's like you're sitting here and like a reality starts to kick in. Like life isn't forever. I'm here thinking they're going to live forever in my mind. I'm like, man, ain't nothing going to happen. I was just talking to people the other day saying that I never really lost anybody close to me. And then 2022, it was back to back to back to back. And it was just crazy. So October, this fight was supposed to happen, I believe. Something happened. Either something with either the visa or he got injured or something. Don't know. In November, it was supposed to happen. Then, then it didn't happen because me on my end. I was dealing with uh, an injury from the Devin Clark fight because a lot of people and I fucked up my hand, but I also fucked up my leg. And I wasn't feeling it because it kept giving me this weird, weird vibe. So I, I told them, like, look, I, I wanted to see how long, if it would be good, but I ain't going to sit here and cap. I watched a couple main events and the injury was the knee. And I'm like, fuck that. I, re I refuse to be one of those dudes. Like, they got knee injuries. The Aspen lad, that Aspen car, that heavyweight dude, he was fighting, gone, his knee. Um, I believe Calvin Cater, his knee. And then somebody else, they got kicked over their knee just as the fight started. And then it was, like, crazy. I'm like, fuck that. That's, like, a sign. So I was, like, letting them know, like, look, I'm, my knee's still feeling funny, and I don't want to go out there injured. If I could get a little more time, make sure that my knee's good. So I went and did a few rehab things. Like I wanted to get it looked at, make sure I was past those tests, the stress tests and all these things that he had done. And I was good to go. So now February's here and we fight Saturday. And how would you say your mentality's changed from last year after going through all of that adversity in your personal life? Uh, like you said, so many different family members and people close to you passing away. Has that changed your mindset at all going into this fight that would make it different from any previous fight? Am I... It, at my grandmother's funeral, when I watched my brother, I never seen my brother break. And when I seen when I seen that happen, it changed my whole perspective on a lot of things. 
Cause I'm just, I was sitting there like, like normal, like maybe something's wrong with us. But when I seen that, it like, I guess it broke through a barrier. It made me realize like, yo, like we're human. We, we could go through things, it's okay. And not only that, the acceptance, cause I didn't want to accept my, I just lost my grandfather. And then a couple weeks later, I lose my grandmother. It's like, it's, it's, it's reality. And when, when that happened, it just changed my whole mindset on everything, how I was thinking, how I was looking at people. I forgave a lot of people. Ever since then, this crazy ass weight on my shoulders has been just lifted. Like I feel more jolly, more lively. I feel lighter. I feel just happier. I feel more just energized, everything. Just that mindset of accepting like, yo, if they were here, they wouldn't want this. At the end of the day, they gave us an opportunity to to do something with ourselves. And what do I look like sitting here just shelled up in the ball and not living up to, to the stature of what, what was given to us? So I'm in the fight game, continuing the fight game, because I ain't going to lie. I was going to be like, yo, I'm done with all this shit. I just want to go back to my normal life in isolation. But talk to my coach, conversations with my brother, and it's just like little things I picked out and it is reality because what they both said in different formats, it was the same ending. Like, yo, you got to keep pushing, got to keep going. And it's just like, fuck this. It's time to prove everybody wrong. The comments that I'm, that I'm slow, I'm fat, I'm never going to get back to 205, all those shits. I, I just read them. People don't know, I just read them. The old me would have responded. Read them and I'm just like, Huh. I guess it's a redemption here. I gotta prove not only people wrong, it's not even that, it's more so myself. Prove myself to myself that I still got what it takes and can still do whatever I set my mind to do. What do you think that weight on your shoulder was? What what was I guess holding you back from being, I guess, your best you know, your best performer uh, in the cage? When when you sit here and really think about it, grief. That was the weight, it was just grief, like sitting here holding on to all this things, being a victim, feeling sorry for this, feeling sorry for myself, like thinking things will get better if other people would come around me and be, oh, I feel sorry for you. None of that was needed. It was, I was a prisoner in my own mind, and I found my own key and unlocked the door, so I'm here now. And Marcin Pacquiao, he was supposed to be your opponent back uh, in November, as you mentioned. Uh, have you done a lot of uh, you know, studying his game? Because he's kind of an unorthodox fighter. Uh, a lot of, you know, kind of a karate stance, likes to use his range. Range has been something that you've had some difficulty with in the past. What do you think of his particular game and how you match up against him? I mean, in the in the sport world, when you're a judge, corner, spectator, that's what you would think. But in the past, to be honest, my only problem has been myself, mentally. You could go back to my past fights from Muay Thai, MMA. I fought long guys, range, it don't matter. It's just been me starting to get in my head over and over and over to the point I became isolated in my own fucking thoughts. It started to question things. So when you talk about this opponent, I don't look up my opponents. You go to any interview, any type of knowledge that you know about me that's written down, interviews the whole night. I don't research my opponents. That is not my job. My coach does that. Then my coach trains me. I don't research opponents for said reasons. One, you could believe they're one way and then they come out another. And two, you're training yourself to lose, in my perspective. 
So I don't sit here and look up my opponents because a real fighter doesn't come back the same. And that's my coach's job to watch and deviate and figure out what's what is what and what we need to do. He won't even tell me. We just grind, we train, we drill, and that's it. Because it's not more so, okay, you're going to look for this. Because me being an analyst myself, I can overthink, overreact to something that's not there, and then it can it could be my downfall. So, nah, I don't I don't look at my opponent. Even then I didn't look at my coach does his stuff and then we're in the we're in the grind. That's an interesting perspective. So, you believe that looking into your opponent is almost like fighting a losing battle because you're trying to figure them out rather than having them try to figure you out. So, if you if you're working exactly. on yourself, then that's kind of a winner's mentality. Exactly. Self-improvement you you can't beat self-improvement they're gonna look at you away just like they're probably watching tape on me saying oh this guy's this way this way that way you don't they don't realize i was fighting a, a mental battle it's not even more so my performance it was me but now i'm at that light where i used to be in and it's like more so i can only perform and show you more than i can speak on so your nickname is the nightmare but there's a, a group of fans online that uh, are big fans of yours and have given you a different nickname. I don't know how much social media you read, but are you aware of some other nicknames that you've gotten? <laughs> no. Well, the one that I see is Thick Willie. People, there are a lot of people that call you Thick Willie. I was wondering if maybe that's a nickname change that you'd consider since this is the new William Knight in 2023. Oh, man. It's not more so new. I'm just back to my 2019 ways, that, that savvy, I don't give a fuck brawler. That's me, the person that just goes in there, adapts and fucks shit up. Before I was too, like, chess playing, like, sit here and wait for an attack, then I would attack the, the waiting game. So my coach is like, yo, bring the 2019 wheel back. The one that didn't give a fuck who we went against who just went in there and just did his fight. Yo, I'm right here. But that thick Willie shit, I don't know, man. Sounds like some of them have some fantasies they need to, to, to like, fend on their own. <laughs> well, I think that they, you know, you're obviously a large, muscular guy. So I think that's where the nickname comes from. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> but it's still going to be the nightmare then. The nightmare has always been my name. All right. Well, I'm glad to have the 2019 nightmare back. It's yourself, Marcin Prakniao, this weekend. Uh, UFC fight night. We've got Aaron Blanchfield, Jessica Andrade, short notice replacement for Blanchfield. Should be a great card. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this. Definitely. Thanks. When you have a high fighting IQ like this man, you call him the genius, and that's Anthony Romero, who's in the PFL Challenger Series this Friday night against Tony Caruso. Um, you've taken almost a year off. Was that just about looking for the right opportunity for you instead of, I guess, taking a lot of fights on the regional scene? Yeah, just being patient over time. Um, I knew something big would come up after that last fight. It was just inevitable. Um, like, how, like, I don't know. How could you not get a big opportunity from something like that. Um, and uh, I, I didn't really want to take a regional fight. It just didn't seem worth it for me. And uh, just being patient and waiting for that uh, big opportunity. Well, what you're referring to is that massive flying knee that you landed in your fight against Kenneth Glenn uh, back in April of last year, which uh, really made the rounds and was a, a massive highlight for you. Now, in this particular tournament, you're back in a similar situation to the Contender Series where you kind of have to show out. You have to you know, do something big. You have, like I mentioned off the top, a very high fight IQ. You don't take, you know, I guess undue risks, I guess is the best way of putting it. How do you balance that in a situation like this where you've got to really impress the judges uh, just like, I guess, you ha kind of had to do on the Contender Series? Um, what, I, what I like about the PFL is that they've been picking all-around complete fighters. 
um, not just people who are getting finishes. Like there's been the last uh, three weeks, people have gotten finishes, but they've been picking guys who they see are complete in the stand-up and on the ground, um, and they've been winning by decision. Um, so I, I kind of like that. Not that I'm looking for the decision, but I like the idea they're looking for a complete fighter, not just some guy who gets a finish in the fight and then just falls apart in the UFC. It's someone who they see has a, a solid martial arts background. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned there, uh, I guess that's kind of a, a way of looking at the contender series. You've got a lot of these guys coming in facing talent that haven't really fought a lot of really tough opponents looking good in that situation and then they end up in the UFC and they, they're kind of unprepared. And that's why I was surprised when a guy like yourself and, I mean, Kyle Dawkins was in the UFC, but another guy that kind of got passed over despite a really dominant performance on the Contender Series. Um, do you think that that format is kind of destined to fail? It's going to be hard for them to find champions when, when it comes to... Not necessarily hard to find champions. They have Jamal Hill now, but hard to find guys that are going to make it into the rankings if that's what they're looking for in particular rather than complete all-around fighters like yourself. Um, well, I think I'm just out of speculation. I, I, I think that UFC is just throwing guys in, throwing guys out. It's just easy for them just to replace people. Um, so obviously they have some good fighters coming in, um, but there's more opportunity to throw guys in there and then just replace them with guys who are just uh, on their way out. So um, I think for them, it, it's they're doing a good job and uh, it works for them. So You're wearing your brother's shirt, Simon Romero. We were talking about him before the interview started. He actually works with Iridium Sports, which is your management company. How soon do you think it's going to be where fighters are going to start really thinking about other options outside of the UFC, even you know having not fought there. Do you think that the UFC is still the dream for a lot of fighters and that that is kind of going to change when you start seeing the opportunities that are available elsewhere? I think that you need to go through the experience in order to realize it. Uh, until you're there and you maybe worked around it a little bit, then you'll get a better understanding. Like for me, I was never actually in the UFC, so I can't say anything about the organization or anything like that. I think when I was fighting for them uh, for the Contender Series, they treated me well. Um, but from what other fighters are saying, it's different stories. But there's always stories that you can't uh, um, believe all the time. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm happy I got to experience the Contender Series and now the uh, the Challenger Series, and just to compare them to uh, between each other. It's just really cool to have that opportunity to work with different organizations. And I think what's really cool about the PFL is you kind of have a roadmap. If you get a really good win on Friday and they, they select you to be in the tournament, you end up facing, you know, competing in the regular season and then the playoffs and then a, a shot at a million dollars. You're not really going to find opportunities like that very often. Uh, so that's what I imagine the draw was for you here in terms of fighting the PFL? Yes, I, I love that idea. It's um, like... For example, guys in the UFC, they need to work their way up. Um, number six doesn't want to fight number seven. Uh, all that uh, political stuff in, in, in there. Um, but for this, for the PFL, there's no excuses. You fight everybody. Uh, if you're the best, then you just have to win and, and show that you're the best. It's not you have to talk your way to the top. Uh, and then you get uh, certain fights and uh, it works like that. It's just you fight to win and you become the champion. So. Yeah, I mean, you seem to be somebody who would really thrive on meritocracy. I mean, I think that that's kind of where things failed you the last time around was that there wasn't really a meritocracy. It was like, okay, I like the way that, that guy fought on that night. And 
it, it just seems like this is more of a format for you. I, I think beyond this, I think this is kind of the situation where you really have to show out and, and look really good in front of the judges. But once the tournament starts going, I feel like that's Anthony Romero city. Like that's, this is tailored towards the way that you like to fight. Oh, of course. I, I love it. I understand uh, why that can also be, um, be helpful to be able to talk and all that kind of stuff, but you can't be someone that you're not. And uh, this is who I am. I love to fight and um, winning is, is what I do. So, Yeah, and I think it's also conducive to the way that you like to approach the fight, which is to win by any means necessary. And I think that the flying knees are going to come based on the way that you fight. You're, you're great at finding openings. You're great at finding holes. But on certain occasions, you're also going to want to fight in a way that you have your best winning conditions. That doesn't necessarily mean getting a finish. And I think that in the tournament, a situation like that, I think that either outcome is going to just, it's going to come the way that you approach each fight. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I, I take the, the smart approach. I'll take risks here and there, but my job is to win. And um, of course, I got to be entertaining uh, for this fight coming up. But um, like I said, I, I love to win, and that's what I do. So, I'm curious what you thought about the uh, matchup between Islam Makhachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, it's in your weight class, of course, this past weekend. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it, but that just seemed like the highest of high-level MMA that you could possibly watch. And I think that you kind of look at what it means to be a little bit more risk-averse and how a fighter like Alexander Volkanovsky can kind of shift the way that a risk-averse fighter approaches a fight by making them have to take risks. I'm curious what you thought of that fight as a whole. Yeah, it was very, very entertaining fight. It was really cool to see that someone can hang in there with Islam in the wrestling department. Um, and it was a really, it was a smart approach by, by Alex. Um, I feel like he could have maybe pushed, I think he also said it too, uh, earlier in the rounds, um, getting out of those, those bad positions, uh, like getting his back taken, all that. I feel like he was close to winning, but the edge went to Islam because he is the champion. So I feel like not that it should be like that, but the judges kind of lean a little bit more towards Islam. Um, but definitely I want to see it again. If it'll happen, I don't know. They have to defend their belts and, uh, We'll see what happens, but definitely an exciting fight. How did you score it? I mean, it seems like there's a little bit of controversy. I don't think there should be a ton. I mean, I think that was a close fight, however you slice it, but I'm wondering how you saw that one. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I think in round two, it was round two or three that they each had like a knockdown. Um, so it was like it was close to seeing um, what the judges actually called a knockdown or maybe they didn't call it. Um, so, but I think two, was it two, three and five, uh, Volk definitely, uh, did a good job, but I think two made it, might've been a little too close. So. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. And I, I have to go back and rewatch it because when I watched it live, I thought that Islam got rocked and that he stumbled and, and then kind of shot for a desperation takedown. Um, so yeah, I gave yeah. that round to Volkanovsky watching live. And then when I went back and watched it, I rewound that sequence several times and saw that it wasn't actually the, the strike that made Islam be a little bit off balance. It was like, I guess his foot kind of ran into the cage. You know, when you're walking backwards mm -hmm. and suddenly there's a cage there, that can, that can you know, shake your foundation a little bit. So yeah. I kind of had to shift the way that I thought of that round. I think that, you know, a lot of the, the knee-jerk reactions from these fights, um, I think people really kind of hang on for dear life to what, who they thought won on that night. But I think it's important to kind of go back and see, get the big picture and see maybe how the judges could have seen a sitting cage side. Maybe they had a better vantage point than that particular camera angle that we saw live. 
Yeah, exactly. You got to think about how the crowd was too. Um, when you, you hear them cheering all of a sudden, um, especially in that scenario, the, the judges are going to lean a little bit more towards a knockdown. Um, but who knows how they scored it. So, All right, Anthony, it was always a pleasure catching up with you. Yourself, Tony Caruso, PFL Challenger Series this Friday on Fubo TV. Win and you're in, uh, as long as the judges say so. I know there's a, a panel of celebrity judges. Who's on the panel this week? Do you know? Uh, I heard Tyron Woodley, but I'm not sure the other two. So we'll see. It'll be exciting to find out. I've got some advice for you. Go on the Uber app and uh, order some food to Tyron Woodley's room. And just, yeah, I mean, hey, don't you know? You just say it's from Anthony yeah. Romero, and uh, you know, I don't think that's against the the rules of the commission. I mean, these this judging situation is not written anywhere into the guidelines. So hey, you may as well put your best foot forward to try to garner favor early on. Exactly. I take the smart approach. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what the genius does. Hey, um. Your nickname, The Genius. Were you familiar with the WWE wrestler, The Genius? Because he passed away I've, recently, and I was wondering if you uh, had any thoughts on that. Uh, I heard of him. Uh, no, uh, like, direct, like, understanding. Like, I know he probably wrestled and stuff like that, but I don't think I really watched uh, too much of him. Probably uh, past my time. Yeah, it's definitely way before your time. I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy, yeah. and I was, like, a kid when he was wrestling, so I get it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you, Anthony. Thank you. Have a good one. A big thanks to all of our guests, Aaron Blanchfield, Jessica Andrade, William Knight, and Anthony Romero. And to you, the listener, if you enjoy what you hear on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition, please do subscribe, rate, review the show, wherever podcasts are found. We always appreciate that. And if you are already doing those things or already have done those things, we will continue to appreciate you and deliver the show free week in and week out. So thank you for tuning in. And we will see you on next week's interview edition thanks for listening to the tsn mma show for all the latest ufc news visit tsn.ca slash ufc